0: If we would, go ahead and turn to Galatians uh, chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 21 this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you, you're going to hear uh, this morning, and I'm sure a lot of us were just like, okay, we get it, we're free in Jesus. Um, But the reason um, Paul is is beating a dead horse here is because this is so serious for us to understand that, church, we are free in Jesus, right? We talk about this every week. We've talked about this um, probably at some point every week and every Sunday since the day uh, New Hill Church started gathering weekly on the Lord's Day And the reason being, church, is the reason we sing on Sunday mornings, the reason we gather is because we found freedom in Jesus. And that freedom, what it has done is it's not just given us salvation, but church, it's reminded us of our purpose and why we were created to begin with, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the reason every person exists, but the reason we gather is we've realized that purpose in Christ Jesus and that freedom that we have in him. So all the weight and all the burden that you felt your whole life before your salvation, the waging war you felt after it, is because of this very thing. And when we become distracted, though we may be saved, what it does is it it defeats the purpose of us going out and proclaiming the truth of the gospel. So maybe you know it and you understand it, you believe it, you hold to it, but you're not teaching people in word and deed about our freedom in Christ. Or maybe this is a stern reality check for some of us that, that we need to believe and rest in the gospel for the first time in our life. Because church, just because the American church has looked to thrive for many years, a lot of the churches have built their, their foundation not on the gospel of Christ, but on the works of man, which is in vain and leads to destruction. So though this may seem repetitive, let us not grow, um, let this not become stale to us, And let us not forget the goodness of the gospel that sets us free. Let's draw our attention to verse 21 of chapter 4. I'm going to read a lengthy passage here into chapter 5, but follow along with me. Paul says this, he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that uh, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now Hagar in Mount, is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, You who are not in labor. For the chi- for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would have been justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. That's God's word for us this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we draw near to you this morning through your word and through the gathering with one another. God, today's your day as is every other, but we gather today to celebrate the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I pray that you would remind us of our freedom that we found. God, as you met us where we were, God, you set us free. So let us remember that. Let us live as free people, firm people, and faithful people living for you, seeking your will and seeking your face, delighting in your word and doing life with one another. God, lead us in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we uh, go through this, this passage, I want us to remember, church, that we are free from bondage to serve our king. So we've been given a purpose with our freedom, right? So this is, this is the, 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 the difficult thing, is finding the balance here as Christians, is we're not saved by works. Amen. Amen. We are not saved by works. You can't be baptized and use that as a way to get into heaven. You can't help um, the old lady across the street. You can't help a baby learn to walk um, well enough uh, to be able to earn your way into heaven. Um, those will get you badges. Those will not get you salvation, right? And that's, that's the way it should work. We believe that, that people do uh, do outwardly good things. They look good, but we know that if we don't have our heart in the right place, nothing is God-glorifying, and therefore it is not technically Good, biblically good, spiritually good. But we as Christians, though we know that it's not our salvation, our salvation is not dependent upon those things, we know that those things flow out of our salvation. So, this is kind of where Paul's starting the transition here and to, to right into chapter five, talking about what our purpose is then. If we've been free, then what are we to do with that freedom? Do we just go about and live like the rest of the world by no means? So church, we are free from bondage to serve our king. And one thing I want to talk about, three things, just as as God's people, was that we are free people, we are firm people, and we are faithful people uh, to God. Notice there's no perfect people there. We are just free people, firm people, faithful people. First point, free people. We've been freed, right? Paul here turns to an allegorical connection, though it's not an allegory as we may think of it. So I just want to hit on that real quick. We, for instance, we interpret the Bible literally, right? We take it word for word, and some of you all are like, man, that's scary. Yeah, it is, right? But also, don't lean on the world's understanding of God's word, for God's word is spiritually discerned. So we take it literally. We believe that everything in it happened. Uh, We believe it happened exactly as God said it happened. And we believe that every word is is, uh, maybe not to us, because Paul was writing this, uh, for instance, to the church in Galatia, but it is for us. And we don't believe that it is uh, come and gone. We don't think that, oh, well, we're in 2023, get with the days. No, we say to the outside world, we believe this. We know it's old, it's ancient, but it is sufficient, okay? So we believe it literally and not allegorically. Um, Allegorically would mean that we just think that it's just some stories that have some good meaning. We don't take it literally. It's kind of figurative. And in that case, you can pick and choose what you want. So our interpretation of literally and not allegorically is a big distinction from what a lot of other uh, churches or Christians or sects of uh, Christianity have done. And what you do when you do that is you stray away from the word. You can begin to do uh, the Thomas Jefferson thing and just copy and paste and cut out whatever you want with the Jefferson Bible, right? We take it literally. But well, Paul here turns here to this example. Remember, he's, he's building on Abraham. He's been pointing them back to the promise of Abraham. They were looking to the law of Moses. And he says, look before Moses, and you see the promise that was given to Abraham. And he's continuing to push this home to make the point that this has always been God's plan. God is not like us where he needs to, to kind of have a plan B or plan C and just figure it all out kind of as it unfolds. God is, he knows all things that will happen. And not only that, but church, he's ordaining all things as they happen. Even when God is, and when bad happens, God may not have caused that, but church, he is all powerful and he allows that. Now that's the million dollar question as to why, but he is God and he is good and he knows what he is doing. But here he points them in verse 21 to the law. You who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to, to the law. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. He says, But the son of the slave was born according to the what, church? Flesh. While the son of the free woman was born through what? Promise. promise. So one was through the flesh and one was through the promise. Okay? So he's turning here because the significance of this this allegory to him, of of Sarah and Hagar, lies within freedom. So, So church, the questions I want to ask us this morning is what makes us free? What are we to do with our freedom and can we lose that freedom? Can we lose the freedom that we have in Jesus? What do we do with the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus? And that really answers the first question of what makes us free, and that's Jesus. Faith alone in Christ alone makes us free because Jesus paid the price on the cross so that we don't have to go to the cross. We are to take up our cross and follow him daily. So he points them back here, and the significance is because of freedom. One child was born according to the flesh, while the other was born through the promise. Now he says this may be interpreted allegorically. And he says these women are two covenants. One from Mount Sinai, bearing children of slavery. She's Hagar. Okay. Okay. Now, she is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds with the present Jerusalem. And he's using that and pointing them to their current state as Israel, ethnic Israel. And he's saying, you all are losing your sight on what God's plan was for you all along. And you're hanging on the coattails of of Moses and Abraham, but you're missing the message that they preached. Christ would come and he would be the rejected Messiah. It all pointed to Jesus from Abraham to Moses. You even go back to Adam, the very first sacrifice. You look to the before the foundation of the world and how Christ was always a promise. Christ was always in existence and has never not been in existence. And he says, this is the current state And this would have hit home for them because Agar was just a slave woman. She was nothing. But from Sarah came Isaac and there was beautiful promises that flowed from Isaac and the lineage and how far it went down. But he says, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. See, church, Abraham was given a promise from God. And that promise was the blessing of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, who would come and be our atonement. And that through Abraham, the nations would be blessed by this promise, Jesus, that the extension and expansion of the gospel would come through Christ. But what Abraham did is he took the promise that God had given him, and he took that promise into his own hands because he was not trusting in God. And what did that result into? Abraham taking the promise into his own hands resulted in Ishmael, the son of the slave, Hagar. Abraham saw God's promise, however, fulfilled by the work of God and the obedience of Abraham, resulting in Isaac, the son of the free woman, the son and the heir of the promise. Now you start to see this distinction is that The reason Hagar was a slave and she was sent off, and and not only did Sarah say send her off, God also affirmed that and said send her off. But Paul is making this connection here is that that is the kind of covenant we get when we look to our works as one of lawlessness, as one of captivity, enslaved, captured, held under something, a guardian, the law. Those who look to their works are will forever be under the law those who look to Christ will be freed for his work according to his purpose 26 verse 26 but the jerusalem above is free and she is our mother for it is written rejoice o barren one who does not bear break forth and cry aloud you who are not in labor For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So now you brothers. Listen, he's he's talking to the Christians here. He says, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Children of promise. You are free. He's reminding them of their freedom. Freedom. But children of grace, ones who have received that which we did not deserve, that which we did not earn. The blessing that Isaac received and the life that he he, uh, endured was not because of his father's doing. It was because of his obedience to the Father. And we can look at the the story of, of Sarah and Hagar and we can, oh, wow, like what a terrible situation. But look at our spiritual state. And if we rely on ourselves and our works, we are children of the slave sin. But if we look to Christ, we are children of grace. We are children of the living God. We are free people. And church, those who follow a salvation of works are a God to themselves, and their end is destruction. Don't let that be missed this morning. If you are looking to your works as a way of salvation, you are making for yourself a God. And that God could be you, or that God could be the work, or the, the person you love and you're doing it for them, whatever, you're making something else other than God your God. And your end is destruction. But Paul writes to the church in Rome Uh, the Romans, and he says this in Romans 6, 5 through 11, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For For one who has died has been set free from sin, Jesus, Church, our freedom in Christ is our everything. We've got nothing else to hold on to, to cling to, except for the freedom that we have in Christ. And it's that sweetness of that freedom is the reason we gather. It's the reason we sing. It's the reason we praise. It's the reason we we seek to be better husbands and wives and friends and neighbors. I mean, you even go on here at at the end of this passage, we're going to hit... Where Paul says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When I was growing up, we did that just so they wouldn't like throw their lawn clippings onto our yard, right? But in, as Christians, we do that so that they may see the love of Christ in us and through us and experience salvation as the Lord wills. Church, we do not believe that we are free. We are but lost and enslaved to the world. If we believe that our freedom rests in the finished work of Christ, however, then we must display it in our obedience by being firm people. Point number two. We have to have a firm foundation. We have to have some kind of backbone as believers. And backbone isn't the kind of backbone that just yells at the world because we're supposed to stand on something. No, it's understanding what we stand for, why we stand for it, and when we stand for it. And church, when it comes to the gospel, when people mess with what it means and how to be saved, we stand tall, we stand strong. This is worth fighting for. This is worth getting stern over. Look, there were plenty of things, Paul separated over pettier things and said sorry later. Unless there's a Galatians 2.0, he didn't say sorry for this, why? Because the gospel matters. But church, growth, it looks different for everyone. Though the end goal is the same, it's sanctification. Now understand that. Growth looks different for everyone. If you're holding someone uh, to your standard of of growth as a believer because you were on fire for those three weeks and you grew so much and every other believer should just be like that, then you need to slow down a little bit because it looks different for everyone. But it must be happening, right? Right? That's the difference. We don't sit there and say, it's okay to remain in your state of unrighteousness and God-glorifying, non-God-glorifying activity. It's cool, you can stay there. No, what we do is we say, hey brother, let me help you up because of the three weeks of experience that I've had and growing and being sanctified. Let me help you up and along the way in the process of sanctification. It looks different, but it must be different happening. Sanctification, church, is the Holy Spirit's work in continually transforming us into the likeness of Christ. That's what Christians look like. We're obedient. We are to be obedient to that process, knowing that the Holy Spirit is actively at work convicting us and convincing us of our sin so that we may repent and be more like Christ, the God who saved us and set us free. Verse one, consider this verse. Paul starts out here, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom. So Christ didn't set you free, he didn't save us, he didn't reconcile us to the Father just so we could have the keys to this this kingdom with, with golden streets. It's for freedom that he set us free so that church, we would no longer be held captive by sin and be held under its dominion, but that we would be free And in our freedom, we are reconciled to the Father. We have the kingdom ahead of us, but it is for freedom. And he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back, he says. Don't go back. This is, like, much like children, right? There's a reason the Bible continually causes children to grow up into maturity because we hear things like this, and we're like, yeah, like, why would you submit again to a yoke of slavery? Think of my children, for instance. Have you all, like, ever, like, disciplined your children, and you're like, all right, get out of the corner and go on, right? And you think, like, you did something good, and, like, they learned their lesson, and they immediately walk back into the situation that you, like, got them out of, Right? Like, I just told you to stop hitting your sister. You were in timeout for five minutes. What's the first thing you do when you get out of timeout? You went and hit her again. Well, she, go back until you learn your lesson. Go back. And we do the same thing in our spiritual state as we'll sit here and we'll, we'll sing praises of Jesus about how we're free we're going to end with a song here in a little bit called Made Alive, that we've been made alive in Christ, right? Talking about how he bought us back, he's freed us from sin, from death, it doesn't have dominion, we're free. And then this week, church, what are we going to do? We're going to struggle with sin, we're going to hopefully wrestle with it and not just give in to it, but we're going to go back as, as if we forgot what it was like to be free. We're going to submit again to a yoke of slavery. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Do not go back to a way of works which will lead you to damnation. He says, don't submit again to that yoke. Christ has lifted that burden off of you. Don't submit again to it. Church, if we are free, we must live firmly in the promise of Christ. We must live firmly. Firmly. What did Jesus say to the woman who was caught in adultery? Everybody's ready to just stone her and just get rid of her, right? In John 8 11, Jesus says, uh, she says this, uh, no one, Lord. And then Jesus says, neither do I, talking about who condemned her. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, what, church? Sin no more. He gave her her freedom. He says, I'm letting you go free. Nothing held you down. You were not condemned. Now go and sin no more. Church, that should be what we think about each and every day, remembering the the work of Christ on the cross and how it was finished. And as we consider that, listen to those words. As Jesus says, go and sin no more. And he said it time and time again. And why? Because our freedom, church, does not result in our unrighteousness, but should be a result of our righteousness, which lives inside of us. Because Christ has set us free, so we remain firm. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He's saying if you add anything to the gospel, you are emptying the cross of its power. There was no point in Jesus dying. Now, I don't think any of us would raise our hands if it was, hey, raise your hand if, if you think you add something to your salvation. And you, you're saying that Christ didn't do anything. No one would, no one would raise their hand here, right? You got up, you all, some of you all, most of you all should have got the message that the heat was off. None of you all came here expecting it to be cold because you thought Jesus did nothing, right? No, you all got up and you're like, probably like, it's going to be a miracle, Lord Jesus. You're going to, we know that you move mountains, you're going to do it again. And this place is going to be warm. And it was. But we came here knowing that it could be cold We come here every week knowing that there could be some malfunction with the the sound and the speakers, and there usually is with this mic. But we know that Jesus did something. He paid the price for the souls of his people, and we get up and we worship him. It's a proper response for who he is and what he's done and will continue to do. And he says, if you are adding to the gospel, you are saying that Jesus did nothing. He says, I testify Again, to every man, because it's important, right? That's why he's saying it again, that if he accepts circumcision, you're obligated to keep the whole law. He says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Severed. That means there is no kingdom for you there is only separation for you. There is a place of gnashing of teeth for you if you believe anything other than just the gospel. If it's the gospel plus or the gospel minus, you've missed it. Some of you may be worried. Church, the gospel's simple. We're all sinners born that way and in need of a Savior. Without that Savior, we are doomed to be eternally separated into a nasty place for all of eternity. But thanks be to God that he sent his only son to die on the cross, that whoever believes in him would have life and have it abundantly. Praise be to God. That's the gospel. It's not hard, it's not complicated, right? We like to make the easy things complicated and try to make the complicated things easy. Leave the gospel be. Share it. It's beautiful and it's freeing to the sinner. And when we hear that, when we see the gospel, when we see the finished work of Christ, we should not only be firm, but in our firm foundation, be a faithful people. Point number three. It is important that we're faithful, right? We don't just understand it. This is, this is where it goes from the head. Paul's kind of been getting at the heart, and now he's working at the hands. That we, church, need to be faithful in how we live and what we do. Because if Christ has set us free, he set us free, church, for his service, it's so easy to sit here and just think like, oh, Jesus has set me free. I don't really have to do anything. You don't have to do anything for your salvation, but because of your salvation, church, you should go and live faithfully for him. See, Christ has freed us from bondage so that we can serve him. Be faithful. And he starts here at their unfaithfulness. Verse seven. It says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He says, you were running well. You were, you were running that race. You were going strong. You were growing in your faith, resting in your freedom, proclaiming the truth. You had a firm foundation. Who hindered you? Every summer I try and get into like a a running routine because Kate Lopez is crazy and gets like all the people and everybody's neighbors. Kate knows how to rally everybody uh, together for those kind of things. And I don't understand. And by those kind of things, I mean exercise things, right? Um, It's weird. So like she got me into that a, a few years ago with everybody and I'll go out and run on the track and just try and do a mile and just try and get the best time and just as hard as I can go for one mile and then I'm done. And what's happened is, is like, I was going really well through the summer like every day getting my mile in a little ab workout and then Aubrey's like you don't need to do it today right you don't need to do that it's like really hot outside and I'm like yeah but it's like seven it's gonna get hotter I just go she's like no you're fine I'm like no I'm gonna go run I start running I've got my phone with me it keeps track of my mile helps me get some some tunes in my ear and I get a text and it reads it through my ear and it's like from Aubrey Meadows You can stop running. It looks really miserable over there. And I'm like, you're right. I'm going to stop running, right? She gets in my ear and makes me stop. And I see her over here. She's she's finally able to like listen. So she hears this. So you all can go ahead and tell her. I know everybody tells her every story I tell about her anyway. You don't need to do it. You don't need to do it. And she gets in my ear and then I stop. But Paul makes that same kind of comparison that spiritually they were running well. And he says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? But he has confidence in verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. Notice his confidence isn't in them. It's not in their flesh. It's in the Lord who lives and dwells in them to change their hearts and their minds and their lives forever that they would take no other view that they would turn back to this gospel and he says and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is seems to be like one person who's heading this up and being trouble to them and getting a group together if i still preach circumcision if i'm still preaching works of the law why am i still being persecuted in that case the offense of the cross has been removed But he says, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now listen to this. This is the importance of our freedom and what we are to do as faithful people and living for Christ faithfully. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only use your freedom as opportunity. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Do not use your freedom, church in Christ, to go and to do whatever you want and say, "Oh well, we're all hypocrites." But Jesus loves us still. Us, no matter what. But I tell my daughter, I say, "There's nothing you can do that would make me not love you." But you can't keep doing that because that's not. we unmuted there we go all right cool and I tell her like this is not the plan but dad loves you no matter what there's nothing you can do to make me not love you but you can't keep doing that and so it is with God church he does love us if we if we've really and that's the question we have to ask ourselves if we've really trusted in the gospel then no sin will cast you away But if you've really trusted in the gospel and considered the implications of what Christ accomplished on the cross, you won't want to continue sinning. It won't be okay in your heart and your mind and your soul. It it won't feel right. And you won't just feel guilt, church. You'll feel conviction. And there's a huge difference between guilt and conviction. One brings about a burden and the other one sets you free. Luke 17, verses 1 and 2. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him to, if he had a millstone hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Yeah. They've got someone in there Who's leading them away from the gospel? And you look to these words of, of Christ. It says it would be better for the one who's leading them astray if he had a millstone hung around his neck and cast out into the sea than to cause a little one to stumble. And then Paul tells him, he says, just use your actual freedom in the gospel to serve and to love one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Church, it's our freedom that should motivate us each and every day to get up and to live for Christ. To love your neighbor, to care for your neighbor, to serve your neighbor, to love your community, to care for your community, to serve your community, to wake up if you're, if you're married, to love your spouse, to care for your spouse, to serve your spouse sacrificially. Husbands, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wives, as the church submits to Christ, so also submit to to the head of the house. Uh, There's tons of implications there. Some of you all probably just like clocked out and like, no, like we can talk about that. But you know like why that kind of like feels counter-cultural, a little uneasy to the flesh? It's because those ways of living have Christ at the center of them. And those who have Christ at the center of their life ought to be living as though Christ died for them. Ben, you can come back up. I want to wrap up here with uh, Romans 6, verses 20 through 23. Paul says this. He says, actually, you can read. uh, I would encourage you all to read Romans 6 um, all the way through chapter 6 and then uh, 7, if you'd like. But 7, verse 1. Uh, really weird how we've done those those breaks, but seven verse one would kind of wrap that up. But Paul talks about this idea. He says, "Shall we continue the sin that grace may abound?" He says, "By no means." But here in verse twenty of chapter six in Romans says this: For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from those things, which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, church, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, our God is gracious. He is faithful to save But church, just like God, we shouldn't play games. We should be honest. We should tell people the beauty of this gospel, which sets people free and onto a path of righteousness and sanctification. It's a process. If you're a part of a group, you know how messy that process is. We start spilling stuff, and it's like it's always funny because it's like you like kind of feel like ashamed to like open up a little bit, and then you open up and you realize that you're not the only one that's been through it. You're not the only one that's fallen on your face, but you realize you're not the only one seeking God's face. You realize that we're a bunch of messed up sinners that have been made saints, relying on our Savior. We remember, Church, that we are free from our bondage of sin so that we may serve our King. So church, let's stand and sing to our King now and let's go and live for our King as we walk out the doors today, seeking the opportunity to make His name known. Remember church, you are a free people, you are to be a firm people and we ought to be a faithful people, being obedient to His Word and following Him as He leads. Father God, thank You for this morning. Uh, Thank You for Your Word. And God, I pray that we would just remember uh, that we have been free God, and that we would not use our freedom for opportunity to sin, for opportunity to just kind of brush off the beauty of the gospel and say, yeah, but we're all forgiven. God, I pray that we would rest in our freedom and we would use our freedom to glorify your name, to praise you both in word and deed. God, and right now as we're considering these things, we're mulling them over, God, that you would work not just in our head, but in our heart, God, that you would convict us at the very place where we are wicked in our heart. God, and as we go out this week, God, that our hands and our lives would be affected and we would go and we would live according to your will and for your purpose. God, would you lead us? Would you be with those who are, who are missing, who we haven't met yet? Would you lead us to them, to care for them, to love them and serve them? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.